Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Hope all is good with you and yours. The new season is upon us. That's right. Ah, shit. Here we go again. Here we go again is right. It doesn't feel like a whole summer has passed since the end of last season, but it has. We've had a European Championships. We've had an Olympic Games. We've had a successful transfer window. Yeah. Well, you know, two out of three ain't bad. We will, of course, be talking about the transfer window in this episode, the things we've done, the things we haven't done, the things we still need to do, both inwards and outwards. And we'll be talking about the new season, what are realistic expectations for the club and for the team as we go into this new campaign, what will be successful, what wouldn't be, and, uh, you know, what should we be expecting from uh, a squad that isn't that dissimilar from the one that ended last season, but which still has room for improvement. And I think an eighth place finish for Arsenal last season was not good. It's well below the standards that are expected. And one of the reasons it was frustrating was because the team that we had, the players that we had, are capable of better than eighth. I think that's fair to say. So, look, it's all ahead of us in this particular episode. My guests will be Phil Costa and Andrew Allen. We're going to chat it all out. But I just want to say welcome back to a particular kind of listener. I know that there are some people who, at the end of a season, they just turn off. They don't want to deal with all the summer madness. And I quite understand that. And I think this summer... More than any other summer, the the transfer stuff has been absolutely crazy, crazy, every single bit of it. Because, look, for obvious reasons, people are interested, they're invested, they want to see the club do better next season. And part of that is what we do in the transfer window. But it has been, I don't know, there's just it feels like it's gone to a different level. But there are people out there who just don't want anything to do with that. So they switch off and they come back at the start of the season. So if you've done that, if you've had a nice, relaxing summer break, if your mind is calm, an oasis of peace and tranquility, well, I'm very, very, very jealous and envious of that part of it. And welcome back, as we said at the start. Oh, shit. Here we go again. We are, by the time you're listening to this, mere hours away from the start of the new season, our game against Brentford on Friday night. And I think we have plenty to discuss. So let's get on with it and let's introduce the guest first. As I said, Phil Costa. Hello, Phil. Hey, Andrew. How's it going? Good, thank you. And we've got Andrew Allen. Hello, Andrew. Hello. 
Can I start with you, Phil? Let's uh, just gauge the mood very slightly. We're kicking off the new season at the time of recording, about 24 hours from now. How are you feeling, not necessarily with your head, because we're going to explore what we all think of uh, where we are right now, but how is your gut feeling? How is your heart feeling about the start of a new uh, Arsenal season? Well, it's funny because I was listening to the Arscast Extra on Monday and about how you kind of have this childlike uh, optimism about every season, regardless of what's happening on on the transfer front or behind the scenes. And usually I'm with you. Uh, I completely, you know, echo that sentiment and I find it very difficult not to be excited by the new season because, you know, as much as you're burnt out by what's happened in the summer and the season before, you know, it's Arsenal and you're excited to watch them every week again. But I don't know, man, this year, this year's just kind of hit me with a bit of, you know, whether I'm burnt out from a really tough professional year. Um, I'm just kind of looking at things now and thinking, oh, this could be very bad by the end of August um, already, you know, with no kind of warning or sort of uh, dipping your toe into the new season. I mean, it could be very bad very quickly. And I've, and I was ready for a refresh of the squad. And it, I know the market's been very difficult and, and COVID hasn't quite allowed that to happen uh, so far. I will say, obviously, so mm. far, because there's a few weeks left. Um, but I'm just seeing the same guys doing the same kind of thing. And I'm just a bit, uh, you know, here we go again. But I think by Friday night, um, I'll, I'll be much more positive. But that's how I'm feeling for now. Andrew, you know, you're going to get back into the stadium. Fans are going to be back in after, you know, basically a year and a bit out, in and out a little bit. There were some some games that people were in for. But, you know, your, your feeling on this, like what is, your, what is your gut telling you? What's your heart telling you about the start of this season? I mean, I, I, there's no doubt that I'm a little bit nervous about the way the fixtures have fallen. But I have to say that there's an underlying sense of excitement about the fact that fans can go back in the stadium for sure. Like I think it's kind of been the the missing piece of the puzzle for me personally, with regards to all this talk of like returning to normal and everything Mm. like until fans are back in football stadiums and people are going regularly. And I mean, it's such a big part of like my social life, I guess that for it to be returning is like, you know, that's a big step. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited on that front. And I think in a weird way, because of the fixtures, the Chelsea and the, the City game in particular, I've kind of made my peace with it being an awkward start. And I'm trying to kind of, you know, cushion myself from the inevitable pain of what those games bring, I guess. Um, yeah, but I mean, I'm excited for tomorrow night. I mean, who who knows what will happen? I mean, it's, uh, you know, when newly promoted sides come up, I mean, Brentford will have a, a full ground at their new stadium for the first time, I think. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's a sense of occasion about the whole thing. And I'm, yeah, I, I think I'm, by and large, I'm excited. All right. Okay. Well, look, we obviously have a lot to talk about, about, about the state of the squad and where we are and, and the things that we've done, the things that we haven't done and the things that, you know, still need to be done. But let's start, Phil, if we can, with with what we actually have done and what we have added to the squad. And, and Ben White from Brighton, uh, we did our preview or our, our podcast on him over on Patreon after the signing. And there are very good reasons as to why Arsenal brought him in. Um, we have somebody who can replace some of what David Luiz 
gave us on the ball, but he can also move and he can also run, which are, you know, good things in, in football. So, you know, overall, are you are you positive about what Ben White can bring to the team and how he's going to slot in? Arteta was talking, asked about him today and he said, you know, he fits perfectly into, you know, the plan, what we're trying to do here. So it is it is a player that they have very specifically targeted. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when the the links first emerged, I was kind of thinking like, what the hell are we doing? Because I naturally expected Saliba to maybe come back and get an opportunity. And I kind of felt that there were other areas in the squad to maybe prioritise. And when the, the prices sort of were were being reported, like 45, 50 million, I was just thinking like, really? Um, you know, I really wasn't sure about the signing, but having done some research into him obviously for the piece and having watched a lot of video um I think you've nailed it I think effectively no matter what people thought of him David Luiz is pretty integral to to us and how we wanted to play last year and you know it was clear that he needed replacing from a from a kind of stylistic sense and I think his ability to progress the ball whether it's through his carrying or his distribution will just bring a lot to the side um and I think maybe there's a slight danger of people thinking he's going to come in and be our defensive messiah. I mean, our defensive record wasn't actually too bad last year, but I think we just maybe need to temper expectations a bit, but kind of be happy in the fact that we've got what looks to be the next kind of next big thing in terms of the English centre-backs. We have played, you know, a big premium for him, but that's just kind of the going rate for these kind of players and these kind of talents. So I think in terms of what he brings to the side stylistically, I'm very happy and I think he will surprise a few people, but obviously there will always be that price tag lingering over him. But I think we kind of need to do a, a kind of sensible thing as fans and separate ourselves from that uh, sort of aspect from the deal and just kind of focus on what he can bring um, on the pitch. So, yeah, Andrew, he's not going to be £50 million Ben White in the same way that it's £72 million Nicolas Pepe, I guess. You know, he is, in some ways, I think it's inevitable that you do get burdened with the price tag. And, uh, you know, one of the things, I suppose, that people had reservations about when we paid that kind of money for him was whether or not it would prevent other business being done. Now, it remains to be seen if the outlay on Ben White is an impediment to doing uh, other business. I'm not sure that it is, considering we've been after Aaron Ramsdale. We still are in the market for an attacking midfielder. So you don't get the sense that the the price you paid for Ben White is preventing other deals. I think there are other issues there, particularly when it comes to, uh, you know, clearing some space in the squad. But uh, when it comes to to Ben White, have you liked what you've seen so far? Are you hopeful that he can be the the Ben White Knight, if you like? (laughs) I mean, uh, unlike Phil, I I, I didn't kind of, I haven't spent a huge amount of time kind of pouring over the details and the back catalogue and and, and, and sort of trying to figure out exactly who he was at Brighton and Leeds, but um, obviously was very aware of him at Brighton, but really Sunday's game at Spurs was the first chance I had to sort of watch him in the flesh and watching him up close and, and, you know, without, from you know, not doing it from a TV camera angle point of view, but literally just watching everything he does for sort of 10, 15 minutes in the middle of a game and his positioning and the way he's talking to the people around him. Um, I was just very impressed. I just thought for someone to step into that situation off the back of a few training sessions and look so calm and assured and to kind of, 
you know, demonstrate his full repertoire. I mean, he was spraying balls around almost immediately. There was one really lovely kind of carry of the ball up the pitch, which is the type of thing that really bodes well because we just haven't had that. And I, I vaguely remember Mikel Arteta talking more, you know, talking last season about the fact that his centre backs don't get involved enough in one goal scoring, but two just building the play. You know, mm. they don't get up the pitch enough. So yeah, seeing him in the in the flesh, I was impressed. Um, he doesn't look small for someone who come, you know, at six foot was next to a much taller guy in Pablo Marie. I mean, he still looks like a very physically capable guy. He's got a good leap on him. Uh, so yeah, the first impressions are, are good. I mean, it's um, it's interesting because really he kind of he comes in on Rob Holding's side, I guess, of the, of, of the centre back uh, duo and. Rob was probably the most consistent performer last season, I think, in the defence, really. Well, I mean, as a centre-back anyway. So, Mm. um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens to him. But, yeah, I'm impressed by Ben White so far. Phil, do you think that that Ben White's arrival immediately relegates Rob Holding to the the position of right-sided backup centre-half? Obviously, Pablo Marie and Gabriel are two left-footed centre-halves, so immediately you would say, OK, we've got two right-footed centre-halves who can play on the right. We've got two left-footed centre-halves who play on the right. The argument or, or the, the, the what people might say about the fact that, that Mikel Arteta, uh, Gabriel was brought in by Mikel Arteta, uh, certainly a, a transfer that he would have had to give the green light to. Uh, is that the long-term partnership or is there maybe scope for for Rob Holding to be a candidate on that left-hand side and and maybe to an idea that we could perhaps be a bit more flexible defensively uh, when we want to be and and play with three at the back and we've got players who can do that, um, you know, in white, in Rob Holding and and the two left-footed guys. I mean, definitely at face value, Ben White coming in as a a big money signing, you'd expect him to be kind of the starting guy. Um, And I think... It's funny that you mentioned, you know, holding perhaps maybe moving to the left because that's what I was thinking. Um, You know, obviously, Gabriel has had his knee injury and they were kind of vague about that for a little while until today's update, which I think um, put him back in early September, like in Ketia. So we've had a bit more clarity about that. But I think Pablo Marie has looked a bit shaky during preseason, you know, and whether that's him just kind of getting the rust out of his legs or... Maybe now we're just kind of discovering his true level remains to be seen. But, you know, Rob Holding has played a lot of football at left centre-half. And I think there's definitely maybe room for him to kind of squeeze into that that position, maybe if, if Marie is not up to, up to standard. But I think the issue for him is that Arteta really likes that left-sided, that left-footed player on the left because it just kind of eases distribution a bit because I'm, I've got no doubt that, that Rob Holding can do it. But it's just not as natural from a right footer to a left footer. And I think Marie, that's kind of his saving grace out on the left because Rob Holding won't be able to distribute like him uh, sort of so smoothly, should we say. But mm. I think definitely White, White coming in, he's going to be the starter. And like you said, the potential opportunity to to switch things up and go to a back three is, is just as, uh, as exciting because, you know, he's played a lot of, of football there for Brighton as the right centre-back. And I think... He's definitely got the the physical qualities to be able to kind of cover that um, that right side. Should we have, you know, whoever it is, Bellerin, Chambers, Cedric, Maitland-Niles, I've got no idea who's going to be here by the end of the summer, um, pushing up down that side. And I think Gabriel, 
um, can do it down the left. So there's definitely potential to to maybe mix things up um, and, and even see Tierney in a more attacking position. So I think it's definitely nice to have options, but I've got just a, a few reservations about Pablo Marie um, maybe being able to step up and be our um, sort of left-sided centre-back consistently. Um, but I think the, the, the long-term goal is Ben White and Gabriel, and that would be my preference as well. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, it's not. I don't think that Mikel Arteta was necessarily cold on Gabriel, but maybe he had some issues last season that, you know, we weren't necessarily aware of first season in English football. I think he did have a COVID absence as well. So whether he was affected by that, it remains to be seen. But when you pay whatever, 25 million for Gabriel last, uh, last summer and uh, Ben White, 50 million this summer, that's a big investment in two center halves who, who should be starting. Um, Andrew, Albert Sambi Lokonga is an interesting signing, I think, because People looked at it as somebody, uh, as a guy who's going to come in, he's going to perhaps understudy Thomas Partey, um, ease his way into English football, and Thomas Partey picks up an injury. And now it looks, and, and fingers crossed, this is the case that Lokonga will be starting tomorrow night against Brentford. I think the fact that he started against Spurs is a sign that Mikel Arteta was looking to see how he would fare against Premier League opponents. He did pretty well in that game. He's done pretty well throughout preseason. Um, but he is plenty experienced despite being 21. He had a lot of football for Anderlecht, even if he did have a, an absence with a with an injury. He captained the side. Uh, you know, there shouldn't really be any issue for him to come in and be able to um, make his mark pretty quickly. Like, I'm not saying he's going to come in and just sort of stride around the pitch like a Patrick Vieira-style colossus, but but maybe the idea that this guy is a bit too inexperienced to throw in to our first Premier League game just doesn't really add up. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, he's come to he's come to England with a stamp of approval from Vincent Company, who is his boss at Andelect. And, mm. um, you know, I think there's a player who's played with some great ones and, you know, he, he, he probably spots quality quite quickly. And, um, I mean, the one thing that really impressed me watching him is just how calm he is on the ball. I think, you know, you might potentially question his um, physical build at the moment, but he's a young guy. And I think, you know, a, a, a six months in the Arsenal gym alongside some of the other guys and, and that, that strengthening will, will, will come. But yeah, just, just how, how calm he is, um, his ability to wriggle out of tight spaces. It's not kind of Santi Gazzola levels, but you know, there's a willingness to be able to sort of take on a player if he needs to, instead of just passing the ball straight away. Um, that, can be very helpful if we want to try and break through the lines and he seems to have a nice range of passing so everything I've seen is really really positive and weirdly I mean obviously Ben White's the marquee signing so far but I I look at Sambin I think there's a real real star potentially there you know we might have really unearthed a, 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 a gem and that's the type of signing that I've been desperately hoping we'd kind of make you know for the last few years you know going back to that kind of I say unearthing. I mean, it's you paid eighteen million quid or something for 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 a guy who was captain of Anderlecht. It's it's not a complete unknown quantity, but mm. you know he fits that profile. He's young, he's exciting. There's a sense of unknown about him, and um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do. And I'm, I, I think, you know, fingers crossed, he'll be able to cope with the pressure. Phil, one of the things that you might look at with Ben White is his ability to progress the ball and get the ball forward. And we talked about his passing range. We talked about how he can um, carry the ball forward. And one of the things that, that, that came to light when talking about uh, Lokonga was that desire of his 
to get the ball forward, to move it forward quickly, to carry the ball forward quickly. It does seem like that is a, a part of Arsenal's play that Mikel Arteta has been keen to address this summer in, in the transfer market. And I know we're going to talk about some of the stuff that we haven't done, but at least in those two players, we we have guys who have attributes which can perhaps speed things up, at least from an Arsenal perspective, because we have been a little slow at times to, to get the ball forward, to get the ball towards our attacking players. And by the time we do that, uh, the opposition is, you know, back in position and they're, they're, they're snuffing everything out. So are you encouraged by that aspect of the Lokonga signing and the Ben White signing that these are guys who are actually about to address or hopefully about to address a fairly long-standing issue that the team has? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's no surprise that our kind of worst run of form last uh, last season when it what was it between October and kind of uh, yeah. Christmas was you know with without Thomas Party who loves a kind of disguised pass into the forward line he's got a bit of zip about him and we were very much dependent on Granite Xhaka and David Luiz who no doubt as our main pool, ball progresses you know that's their role and we were very dependent on them but they just you know like to get on the ball they like to have a little touch here a little touch there there's a lot of sort of casualness about them and there was just no um, speed in any of that progression. And I think in Ben White and Lokonga, you basically replicate those those skill sets, those desires to kind of get the ball forward as quickly as possible. But, you know, just with speed, um, you know, their first thought is always to go forward, whether it's on their right foot, their left foot. And what I really enjoyed about um, Sambi, having, you know, watched him a lot at Andelect and having gone through a lot of footage was just that kind of, party-esque ability to drop a shoulder and and get away from his man or, you know, a a smart little disguised touch here and there to to get away from pressure. And I think having players that can do that, who are comfortable on the ball, who are always kind of brave enough to to get us up the pitch and forward will will really help us because I I really believe we've got guys in the the final third that can welcome the ball. Smith-Rowe, excellent. You know, Bukayo Saka, excellent. They can take the ball in pretty much any situation either foot and they're comfortable with it there so I think having guys who can really fizz it into them from from not only the defence in Ben White but also in midfield in, in Lukonga would just be you know such a positive for the side and I think um, as as Andrew said you know he, he wasn't really uh, you know we didn't pick him up from from out, out of the blue but you know we've done a really good job to, to kind of identify some qualities and and pick up Sambi from the Belgian league, and I wrote in the pre in the sort of the profile piece that it might be a big uh, kind of a big jump for him to come in straight away and and make an impact in this Arsenal side. But having watched him already in the first few games in preseason, I've, I've been proven wrong already. So, and I would love him to start at Brentford because the thought of Xhaka and El Nuni gives me heart palpitations so um, I'm just ready for Sambi yeah I think we all are I don't even know that it's heart palpitations it's just like a a sinking sense of like oh I'm not this for the start of a new season I mean part of what gets you up for a new season is something new on the pitch and new players and guys who are wearing the shirt for the first time and look we've we've seen what that that 
combination can do, that partnership can do. So, yeah, I'm ready for uh, Sambi to come in alongside Granit Xhaka. I mean, even the Granit Xhaka staying thing, uh, we've done it to death, I suppose, in terms of discussion and everything else. But it is what it is now. If Xhaka can replicate some of his uh, Euros form, he's a good, experienced guy. And, and maybe when you do have somebody like Lokonga coming into the team, someone like Xhaka alongside him, uh, Phil, you know, is is a pretty decent guy to guide him through, you know, maybe the opening games, particularly two games against Chelsea and Man City, which are going to be really testing for him. You know, despite what we've said about his ability, his confidence, his experience, etc. You know, those are those are difficult games for the best guys anyway. Yeah, I mean, talk about coming straight into the deep end. Um, obviously, Chelsea and City are, are pretty much the two hardest games you could expect to have in your in your opening early Arsenal career. But I think the issue with Granit Xhaka is I've, I've championed him more than most. I think I've, you know, um, I've been kind of in his corner for most of his Arsenal career, even after, you know, some really bad mistakes and the Crystal Palace debacle. You know, I've always kind of seen his quality and enjoyed him at the club. But it, it just, it goes back again to what you mentioned about feeling a bit a bit bored of, of these players, you know, that the whole point... I was just truly ready for some change in the middle um, and in midfield in particular because we'd seen, you know, Jacob for, for the last five years and we haven't really gone anywhere. So to see him back um, mentally after after the Roma speculation, I'd kind of moved him on in my own head and to see him come back, I was just a bit like, ugh, you know, but hopefully that can be quickly washed out of my system and, I would much prefer Xhaka to be at the base of the midfield than, than Mohamed Elneny, that's for sure. Yeah, Andrew, uh, Nuno Tavares, I-, I thought Arsenal might struggle to find uh, a good player or the right player to understudy Kieran Tierney. Because it must be very difficult to go out and say to somebody, to say to a left-back, we want to sign you, and they say, well, where am I going to play? when you've got Kieran Tierney. And if Kieran Tierney is fit, I'm basically not going to get into the team. So that's a difficult that's a difficult job. Um, Nuno Tavares, from what we've seen so far, and again, it's limited. It's limited to preseason. Certainly somebody who can add something in the final third. Defensively, I don't think we've really seen him tested yet. But, but the encouraging part of what we've done this season when it comes to players that we've brought in is the age profile. And... We're not giving a big contract to an old guy. We're giving, a, would say, a fairly standard contract to a young guy who may or may not make it. But if he doesn't, you're not then lumbered with years of big contracts, big wages, a player who just doesn't want to go anywhere because he's quite happy at the end of his career. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think... Um... I mean, he, lo- he looks an interesting prospect. I mean, he's a big lad, you know, given the, the position of the pitch that he plays. And... Um... Again, very forward motivated, seems to kind of want to get the ball and, and, and get going straight away. Um, he seems to be pretty good on the ball dribbling wise. He's put in a couple of lovely crosses. We've seen him score a goal with his right foot. I mean, those are all kind of uh, qualities you love to see out of a left back, really. I mean, you know, the game has changed so much in the last few years that the full back positions have become fundamental. So you have to have so much in your game. Um I mean, in terms of his his profile, I mean, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it's an interesting one. I thought it was interesting. It was the first deal we did, you know. Mm. Um, but, um, yeah, he's he's coming from Benfica where he's not played a, a whole 
lot of football. I mean, he's he's played some. He's got some decent experience. He even played against us last season. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of curious to, to see how it plays out for him. I mean, like you said, we've not seen him really defensively. We don't know what he'll be like as part of a, a unit that's really under pressure, whether the, some of the youthfulness might kind of lead to mistakes. Um, yeah, I, I, I honestly, I don't expect him to play that much, though, really, this season. I think he'll get you know a run out in the Carabao Cup against uh, West Brom, which is, what, in a couple of weeks' time, and um, he might get some FA Cup football. But presumably, if Kieran Tierney stays fit, there's absolutely no chance, unless he comes on as a sort of left winger occasionally towards the end of a game to shore things up. Mm. Um, I think, is it this season that there's, they're allowing nine substitutes on the bench, even yeah. though you can only use three? So, you know, he'll he'll have the opportunity to partake in match day experiences. But, yeah, realistically, I, I just, I mean, you know, fingers crossed, Kieran Tini stays fit and everything's fine on that front. But I don't expect we'll see too much of him. No. Phil, any disagreement on that? It, it does feel like... You know, maybe he is somebody who, if, like, I know this is a, a novel concept, but imagine if Arsenal are in a, a comfortable position in a game with 20 minutes to go and you could maybe take Kieran Tierney off, you know, and spare him those 20 minutes of intensity that might benefit him throughout the season. Maybe that's a, an aspect of, of the Tavares signing. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely raw. Um, I mean... You, he's kind of this stake is still mooing kind of raw you know but we've kind of taken a, a gamble on on his potential and I think he he has qualities that that we can use and utilize because you know he's not somebody who can exactly come in and replicate Kieran Tierney because his defensive work is is far superior but I think in an attacking sense he offers a lot of that kind of forward thinking and momentum which I think is positive and like you said, even if we don't see too much of him this season or even if we don't see too much of him throughout his Arsenal career, you know, we've kind of done the right thing in terms of his profile and his contract in in that we won't be lumbered with him and I can't imagine we'll make a loss, um, you know, if, if, you know, barring another mm. pandemic disaster. Um, I think we've just done this transfer perfectly well. It was wrapped up very quickly. Um, his English is good, which which was nice. I didn't expect it to be so impressive, but it was in the interviews that he gave. So I think he'll come in and learn, maybe look to to challenge, challenge Tierney for a couple of those cup games. And, and like you said, maybe he's there to just put him on the sofa for a bit and come on for 15, 20 minutes at the end. And, you know, I've got no real complaints, whatever happens with, with Tavares, because I think we win uh, either way. Selling a little? Or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. 
So look, those are the things that we have done. We've actively brought in those players. I suppose we have to turn now to the things that we we haven't done. Andrew, which concerns you most? Um, the goalkeeping situation or the attacking midfielder that I think everybody accepts we need to share the burden or add to the creativity that we require in the final third. So right now, if I were to say we can have one of those players before the Chelsea game, which one would it be? Uh, I'd, I'd take back up for Emil Smith-Rowe in the number 10 position. I mean, I we played we played the Leno gamble for you know, most of last season or six months anyway, you know, with, with, with Runison. And I, mm. I, I, I'm kind of of the impression that uh, we need to make sure that we have as many proper options in the attacking third as possible because unlocking games has been so much of a problem for us recently. Um, I love Emil Smith-Rowe. I think he's a fantastic player. You know, he's got a lot of growing to do as well. I think Saka's fantastic, but, you know, we placed a hell of a lot of burden on those two players and they are so young. And in both instances, I mean, Saka's played so much football that I worry about his, his legs and Emil Smith-Rowe has got injuries in his locker from the past. So I, I just, I just, you know, it, it really is a fundamental thing for us to, 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 to find more creativity, create more chances, score more goals in that position. Um, it's not going to be easy. At all. I mean, I think we were obviously realising that. I mean, we've put out feelers for pretty much every single number 10 going in <laughs> in Europe, it feels like, this summer. So, uh, yeah, it's not going to be easy, but they, they need to find something because I think it will be a dereliction of duty if we get to September without someone backing up Emil. Phil, where would you stand on this? Because the goalkeeper one is where the worst-case scenario is genuinely terrible. Like if Leno gets a suspension or if he gets a kick uh, and an injury, we are, we're looking at Alex Runison or we're looking at Arthur Okonkwo, um, neither of whom I, I think are quite ready yet, it's fair to say, or certainly not at the level uh, of Bern Leno. So there's a big gap there. Nevertheless, uh, as Lewis pointed out on the preview podcast over on Patreon, generally speaking, your number one goalkeeper plays most of your games in a season. Something weird can happen, as we know. We saw at Brighton that time with Neil Mopé, what happened to Bern Leno. So split second can change how you view that particular situation. But would you prioritize a goalkeeper over an attacking midfielder um, ahead of the next game against Chelsea if that was a deal we could do before then? Uh, I mean, I personally would, but I don't think the club will. Um, I think they're willing to gamble on Martin Odegaard. I felt that for pretty much the whole window. I thought it was always going to be a game of cat and mouse between Arsenal and Real Madrid. And it was kind of always going to be resolved very late into the window. So I've kind of made peace with that, even though it's clear that, you know, as Andrew said, it would be dereliction of duty, completely negligent to be, to be into the season with just Emil Smith-Rowe in kind of that position. Um, but for me, the, the Ramsdale stuff was kind of, you know, in one way I couldn't understand it and then in other ways I could. Um, it's clear that they were viewing him as a kind of long-term option because we know that Bert Leno is not happy here. His form hasn't been bad but it hasn't been great so I think they were very much eyeing him as a come and be with us this season you'll be number one next season kind of guy um, 
but having seen the prices quoted, I'm glad that we've, you know, uh, supposedly walked away. I'm not sure if it's just a big poker face. Um, and I think for me this season, a kind of stop gap, you know, a Matt Ryan-esque stop gap would be much more logical. Um, but I'm really worried about our attack this year, actually. I have to be honest. I think I'm really worried about where the goals are coming from, um, particularly with Aubameyang in this kind of funk and Lacazette never really being prolific. You never know what you're going to get with Pepe. So I think having someone in that number 10 role just to give a, a bit of something extra um, would be such a huge bonus. But I think the club will probably prioritise the, the goalkeeping situation first. Yeah, I mean, just sticking with you, Phil, th- does it f- feel like we could do with a player who could knit things together a bit in that sense? Because when you look at the attacking side of things, we do have Saka. We do have Smith-Rowe, who are now a bit older, a bit more experienced, going into a new season, feeling, you know, Smith-Rowe's got the 10. He's got the faith. He's got the belief that the club have in him. Saka, you know, what a step forward he made this summer to become such an important player for England. And many people were questioning him uh, being even included in the England squad before the Euros. And and now England without Bukayo Saka seems unthinkable. Uh, You know, he's been through a difficult period, a difficult experience, but one of those which should stand him in good stead. This Gabriel Martinelli, Pepe finished uh, our uh, highest score, second highest score last season, I think 16 goals. I think he was the top scorer in the end. Right. Uh, You know, so I know he has this tendency to score in flurries, Obama Yang, I think we can all share some worries about him, but maybe a goal or two and all of a sudden he starts scoring again. You know, there are other players there. Martinelli, uh, Reese Nelson is there, Eddie Nketi is there, Following Balagoon is there. Uh, even, well, I don't know if Willian is there. Nobody's seen him for a while. He's not in the training pictures and he wasn't uh, in the, the squad for the Spurs game. So I'm not going to bemoan that. But, you know, is it about, you know, getting somebody else in there who can... <sighs> Provide that final bit. If we're talking about Ben White getting the ball forward more quickly, progressing the ball, carrying it, Lukonga progressing the ball, it's then how quickly we move it inside the opposition half as well. So is that the sort of player who could perhaps unlock some of the goals that that you know we need as a team and we find maybe a bit hard to see where they're coming from? I mean, that's my personal preference from that kind of number 10 role. It was, you know the links to James Madison have got people very excited but for me he's kind of a guy who has a has those moments you know whether it's a goal or an assist you'd never kind of um see him go missing on the pitch because he's kind of just so bold in his actions you know but I think I don't know I've just always found his price very um you know too much I found it too much and I think for me, I kind of prefer that that guy who's going to get on the ball and knit things together and find that final pass, whether that's an Odegaard or an... Um, I saw us lit with Bernardo Silva recently as well. I mean, obviously, he'd be expensive as well. But for me, that's the kind of guy I'd prefer in the team. And I think, as you mentioned, there's goals there. Um, you know, Pepe, Aubameyang, you know, Lacazette, Martinelli, Saka, Smith-Rowe can, could easily find a, a scoring run if he, you know, that could be a, a Cesc Fabregas kind of transformation when mm. he gets one, he's just going to keep scoring and scoring. And it's whether you think it's down to the quality of the players or Arteta's quality to coach and attack. Um, because if it's the latter, then we're kind of screwed. But if you think it's the former, then, you know, you can kind of rely on some additions. So for me, that's the big question and one I've wrestled with a lot this summer 
and unfortunately I'm kind of leaning towards the latter as as time goes on. Um, but I think definitely, you know, people roll their eyes at it and say, oh, you know, after Christmas, blah, 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 we were second in the league or third in the league. And while I think it's, you know, a bit uh, superfluous to go through that, I think there's definitely some merit in that. And I think if we can kind of uh, kick off well at Brentford with a couple of goals, you know, there's there's plenty of reasons to be positive, but I just have some lingering doubts that whoever we bring in, whether it's Madison, Alwa, Odegaard, you know, whoever, I just have doubts over Mikel Arteta's, you know, ability to really get that attack firing. Would you share doubts in that regard, Andrew? Is that something that you would worry about even if we did strengthen? Or do you feel like, you know, for the 18 months that Mikel Arteta has been in charge, he's, you know, he's stabilized things, he's consolidated things, he's made the defense better, and now is the time where he has got to to let his players off the leash a little bit? Yeah, I mean, look, they're always, you know, in Arteta's reign, the attacking unit has looked a bit constipated the whole time. Like, it just, <laughs> there's no there's no free flow going on. And um, I, I, I don't know whether it's players overthinking all of the information that they've been given about positioning on the pitch and all the rest of it. I mean, obviously, we've seen him on the touchline, Arteta, during matches, you know, barking out instructions nonstop. I mean, he won't have that. Um, ability with the crowds back in, you know, to get the messages across like that. So, I'm I'm hopeful that some kind of freestyle football will kind of just manifest itself this season as a consequence of fans being back in the stadium and the kind of general energy being around uh, the team on a match day. Um, But yeah, I mean, how can you not kind of have some 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 questions about Arteta's ability to, to to coach the attacking unit when the goals are sort of drying up. It's quite obvious, though, at the same time that he's he's kind of made a big thing about improving the defence, and I guess you know the balance has to be struck between a, a, a defence which is capable of keeping opponents out, but also an attack who isn't completely kind of starved of of, of ball. Um, so yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I think. You know, I think he can rightfully feel slightly disappointed by the performances of some of his players as well, right? I mean, you know, Aubameyang last year was just not himself. And we, we don't know at the moment, and he said pretty much himself in, in, in the press conference today that it's too early to kind of tell whether that was a blip or whether this is a sort of terminal decline. And, you know, Pepe has flitted in and out of uh, form. He kind of strikes you one day as a match winner and another day as sort of slightly anonymous. But there are signs there that he's improving. And I think the fact that he ended the season last year as top scorer almost doubled his output from the season before. If he maintains that traje- trajectory, then, you know, there's there's a positive there. You know, the Willian situation, I mean, he Arteta made a big song and dance alongside Edu about the qualities that he was bringing into the team. And... It hasn't worked out, and that really is on him. Um, you know, this was his man, and he couldn't get him to play the football that he needed in his team. So, uh, yeah, there are concerns for sure. Is there, Andrew, another signing that you would like to see the club make beyond the two that we've really focused on, which I think is the the two that most people would be focused on? If, you know, in an ideal world, I could hand you a lump of money, you could go out and get another player in another position. Is there anywhere in particular you would spend that? Well, this is it, isn't it, this summer? I mean, 
we don't really know what the financial situation is. And I think all of us have been trained over the Venki years to be slightly reticent to assume this is a bottomless pit of cash and, you know, we can just go and, you know, put our hand in there and go and buy who we want. And I, I that's this is where I got awkward immediately with the Ben White transfer. I was like, well, if we spend 50 million quid there, how the hell are we going to spend money on anything else? Because we the, the narrative out of the club during COVID has been we are screwed. You know, we're having to make people redundant and all the rest of it. And, um, I wasn't quite sure what was going on, but Arteta seems to think that the, the, the you know, the, the leadership are going to put money in, and they are doing that. If if, if we're to be, well, we don't know for sure if they're doing that or not. But yeah, look, I mean, I would, I think the right back situation is a curious one. I mean, I think that's a situation if you wanted to try and bring the same level of quality to the defence that Tierney does on the right-hand side, I would for sure be looking to to do that. But you've got four right-backs or four people who can play right-back mm. already there. So that, you sort of think, well, that's a bit it's a bit OTT, isn't it, really, to go buy another right-back when you've got four guys who can play there. But you're probably not satisfied with any of them. Um, I guess, you know, the other thing is that, you know, we've had links with Tammy Abraham and it would be a case of whether or not you switch out Lacazette for someone. Um I, I mean, I don't know if Abraham is necessarily the man that would, you know, tickle my fancy enough to sort of make that make that jump. But the idea of a striker as a whole is something I can get on board with. Mm. Phil, what about you? Um, is there another area of the pitch that you think? I mean, I think Andrew makes a good point about the right back. You know that that none of the options we have are are perfect. If Kieran Tierney is perfect, then what we have on the right hand side is is definitely not. But how can you make a signing there if you have three, maybe four players who can fill that role and you can't necessarily move any or all of them on? So is, you know, is there somewhere else you would like to see a signing? Is that an area or would you would you pick somewhere else? I mean, I my sort of mind gravitates straight towards the centre forward position. Um, obviously, there's concerns at right back, but I think, Chambers, I mean, I don't know how he's managed to get his way to the top of that pecking order, but he's done it. Um, and I kind of trust him enough to, to be able to put in six out of 10 performances or seven out of 10 performances most weeks um, and kind of be okay there for us, you know, to, to not realise it. But I think the centre-forward area is a big problem um, because we've kind of got, in Aubameyang and Lacazette, two guys at the the wrong side of 30 and then we've got a huge gap and then there's Balogun and Enketia who are kind of not ready enough and I think you know the reaction to Tammy Abraham at first was quite a negative one and I completely disagree I think he would actually explode at Arsenal I really think he in the right environment he could score a lot of goals um, but we've also been linked to Dusan Vlaovic from Fiorentina and a couple of other guys and I think we kind of need someone in that kind of middle uh, 24, 25 uh, kind of zone just to come in and 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 sort of stake a claim. But it's, again, it's so difficult because Lacazette, you know, we know he's got one year left on his deal and theoretically that should have, you know, brought some piranhas to the pool, but no one's going to take him on that wa- on that wage. Um, you know, it's just, what is it, 180 grand he's ru- rumoured to be on and it's just nobody's going to pay that. No one's got any money. Um and I know there were links to Roma today, um, especially with the the kind of Abraham love triangle. And I think that's potentially <laughs> a huge, a huge way out for us. But 
you know, you know the, the noise out of the club has been, yes, they would love to pursue a striker, but they need to sell Lacazette. And I just don't see that happening unless we, we can maybe fit him in a swap deal with Roma or Leon or someone like that. It's just not going to happen for me. Mm. Andrew, how much sympathy do you have for the club when it comes to the difficulties we've had with selling players? I think everyone will accept that it is a difficult market. Everyone will accept that it's it's hard to sell players to clubs across Europe who are suffering financially, who don't have the financial firepower of the Premier League. And I think more and more the Premier League is becoming quite insular in the sense that when you look at uh, fees and when you look at wages, the only people who can afford Premier League players are other Premier League clubs. Uh, not, not, uh, not completely, but... More and more, it feels like that's the case. So how much sympathy do you have for the club when it, when it comes to shifting some of the players that we have wanted to get out? And how much of this is just reaping what we've sowed when it comes to the kind of recruitment that we've done over the last number of years? I mean, even the Lacazette situation fits into this. Like we paid 50 million for him in the summer and in the 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 following January, we paid another 55 million pounds for a striker who, you know, yeah, is you know, we should have done it the other way around. The Aubameyang thing should have happened first and the, the Lacazette thing should probably never have happened. So it's a, it's a, it's a consequence of the muddled thinking at recruitment level um, d- at the club down the, the last number of years. Yeah, and I guess, uh, I mean, the, the guys who are currently running the show are probably, in, well, they've inherited that situation, haven't they? I mean, mm. you know, they didn't hand out the contracts to some of these guys. They didn't recruit some of these guys initially. So I'm kind of, I have some sympathy for some of the individuals who are currently there with what they've inherited. At the same time, you know, as an entity, the owners have been there and they've overseen all of this and, um, you know, it's happened on their watch. And, and in that respect, you know, it's very, very frustrating that we're now stuck in this situation. I look at people like Kalasinac in particular, you know, is a classic example of someone who really should be going somewhere else, but um, no one's going to pay those wages. You know, absolutely no one's going to pay those wages for him. I'm slightly confused why we can't, sort of dispose of some of the younger English guys. And I'm thinking more of like, I mean, it looks like potentially Joe Willock will, will go, but, you know, uh, and Eddie Nketiah to me strikes, you know, me as a, as a, as a good buy for a, a, a middle range Premier League team, you know, Reese Nelson, there just seems to be very little chat about him, but again, I think he's likely to go. Um, and, you know, those, those young guys, it feels to me having brought them through the system and realized that maybe they're not going to cut the mustard at Arsenal. Other clubs, you look at Liverpool, for God's sake. I mean, they're rinsing people for 20, 25 million quid each time with these guys. And, you know, the, the lad they sold to Sheffield United, um, he, he he's not even scored for them, I don't think. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think you can get deals done, but I, it depends on all the different parties, doesn't it? I don't know what the players are saying and how they're reacting. I mean, Arsenal must be a pretty cushy environment to be in if you're a, a footballer. You know, I wouldn't mind being there myself on a big money contract. So, um, yeah, it's it, it's tough. I mean, in terms of the market, I mean, it's pretty obvious. It's pretty stale. I just don't really, I mean, I don't really get transfer windows. Everything seems to happen in the last couple of weeks. I just, you know, this this window is open, but it's only notionally open because people don't seem to pull their fingers out until the last minute. It's like me when I was at school doing homework. You know, it's Sunday all night. Of, 
Yeah, exactly. Um, so it sounds like everyone's prepared and, and geared up for a manic last couple of weeks. But, you know, ever since they, they got rid of that experiment to have the window closed before the season because no one else in Europe did it, we're, we're back with this sort of really awkward situation mm. of playing three games first. I mean, that is the, the reality of the market, Phil, isn't it? That that uh, the way it operates, things are going to heat up. Even Mikel Arteta said it today at his press conference, you know, uh, they're expecting things to, to start moving. And he said quite specifically in the final week. So it may well be a case that there's a lot going on in that last week where, you know, players want to play. Like certainly young players want to play. The old guys, I think they're much more, they've been there, done that, worn the T-shirt. And if they can sit around, train and just have a nice life, some of them I think are prepared to do that. But the young guys at the start of their careers, like Reese Nelson doesn't want another year like last year where he played 200 minutes and a few under 23 games. That's not good enough for a, a guy who wants a, a good career in professional football. So there is scope, isn't there, for, for more to happen before the end of the window? Yeah, I expect some of those guys to leave. I think their contractual situations make things quite difficult. Um, obviously, Nelson's got just a year left. So if we're... Uh, going to loan him, we need to renew his contract. Otherwise, you know, we're going to end up losing him for free. And, this, and mm. it's the same with Enketia as well, no? I think he's got yeah. um, a year. the same one year left. So if we're going to loan him, we have to renew him or we have to sell him. So, I mean, for me, I always kind of expected Joe Willick to go. I didn't think it would be Newcastle coughing up the money, I must admit. Um, but I thought he would go. And I think we're selling him at the right time, even though I do have a nagging feeling that could come back to bite us. But I just think it's kind of something that we have to do this summer. I think Maitland-Niles will go as well. Um, I don't know if we'll get as much as we were offered last year, but I think he'll he'll end up going. So I do have some sympathy with the club because on the continent, there is just nothing. There is no money. And I think we're in a very privileged position here from a Premier League viewpoint um, in that even some of the, the lower down clubs still have money. But looking across the continent... You know, clubs are absolutely broke. I mean, they're literally fighting for breath. And you would imagine the likes of Torreira, Kalasinac, um, you know, some of these guys on on the outskirts of the squad would normally be picked up for, you know, a, a minimal fee, but we'd be able to get them out to Italy or to Germany. No chance, not this year. And that's where I have sympathy for the club. But I also feel like uh, there were some, you know, reported valuations. I think they wanted 15... Um, I think James Benj maybe quoted 15 or 12 million for, for Reese Nelson. I just think that's unrealistic. Um, if there's a way we can kind of get them out for between, um, you know, obviously it depends, but I think max 15 million for all of them. Um, I think individually there can be uh, 10 million each. Say thank you very much. Goodbye. Get the wages off the, off the bill, get some money in the books and we can just kind of start again. But, Again, it's going to be a late one with Brighton and Southampton scrambling. And I think we have to kind of rely on those guys to get them out. How, I mean, just finally on this particular thing, Andrew, I mean, they are probably going to have to compromise. Uh, you know, everyone will have to compromise. Buying clubs, selling clubs, players, agents, all of them, if they want to get deals done, all these brokers and intermediaries who are supposedly doing bits and pieces and transfers. It's in everyone's interest to get the deals done for various reasons. Uh, so are you expecting Arsenal, like let's say the Granite Xhaka thing, 
you know, where, where we weren't prepared to take the money for him in, in July, maybe at the end of August, we might have been prepared to take less from Roma if we were like really determined to move him on and determined to, to renew in midfield, which I, I don't think we are. I think Shaq is staying, but I'm just making that example that, that when it comes right down to it, if you want to get certain deals done, you're just going to have to eat some shit along the way. Yeah, I guess I guess that is the case. It's just um I guess it's quite it's quite hard to 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 maybe sometimes always accept that, you know, that you've got to sell at mm. a lower price to to keep things moving. Um uh, I I I I just don't really know um it depends really whether or not we're trying to balance the books. And it's very hard to tell that with you know, what's coming out of the club, you know, is the owner actually, you know, putting his own money in? How are we getting this money? Is it coming from a loan? What are, you know, how exposed are we, you know, do we need to make sure that we pretty much cover our asses? So if we spend 75 million, we've got to bring in 75 million. I mean, (laughs) in the old days, that kind of felt like a kind of normal thing for Arsenal to try and do, but I'm just so kind of, unsure of what the situation is behind the scenes that it's so hard to kind of second guess or feel sympathy for them in some ways you know on that um i think just in terms of a a healthy situation around the squad we obviously saw last year that having people there but not able to play was not good Mm. and if we get to a situation where we've got too many players and we can't even register them and they're turning up for training and they're not feeling great about their lives that kind of stuff can can easily pollute a squad's uh you know morale and I, I would not want guys to be there if they can't play we have to tell them you know you have to go somewhere you know we have to make it as attractive for them to go and if it means making it really really easy then i guess so be it well we have some experience in that regard in fairness so you know that's something yeah. uh, that's yeah. something that we can do all right just very finally then uh phil you know we're looking for things to be better next season. Everyone wants to see improvement. We want to see the club get back into Europe. We want to see the club play better football. We want to see the team score more goals. Leaving aside transfer business and what we might or might not do between now and the end of the window, and we all hope we do more, but even with that, what would an acceptable season be for Arsenal in 2021-22 under Mikel Arteta with fans back in the stadium it's his you know third season not his third full season but it's his third season at the club what is an acceptable season that 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 indicates progress and that we should continue in the way that we are i mean it's it's so difficult because you you're kind of wrestling your your heart and your head again with this kind of scenario because I grew up watching Arsenal uh, winning leagues and and I was very spoiled and then obviously we had consistent Champions League football I mean I'd, I'd never experienced Arsenal without uh, Champions League football until you know my early twenties so mm. it's it's so difficult because no matter you know yes we brought in Brent Ben White and and Lukonga and Tavares but in terms of the actual starting eleven. We haven't done much, you know, basically nothing at all as as of now. Um, but for me, the no Europe next year is a big. Um, it's a 
what's what's that thing you're using like a, a a ring like one of those rings that you put in the sea i don't know can't, the name is a life me. a life boy or yeah just you know it's something for Mikel arteta to to cling on to but it's also simultaneously weighing him down at the same time because i think no europe is a it kind of gives him nowhere to hide it gives him a, a sort of a bigger gap in between the games it, it gives players a chance to to rest up and re-energize and implement more things on the training ground but you know people are going to be impatient Really, I think if we if we start off the season badly, um, there's going to be a lot of pressure on his shoulders. And I think, for me, a successful season would be a good FA Cup run, whether that's semi-final or final and top six. I think that's fairly reasonable. I think that looking at the squad as a whole, I think that's enough improvement to say we're going in the right direction without being unrealistic. Um and I think we could do it. Um, I really think that we'll benefit without the the sort of the strain and the travel of European football, even though we kind of used the early Europa League stages for, um, you know, the, the skirts of the squad. But I think top six is is more than achievable um, for next season, this, this upcoming season. And I, I would love us, you know, people knock the FA Cup, but I would just love us to be in a in a nice place again, like we were for those semi-finals and finals against Man City and Chelsea. And the way we, we sort of uh, tamely gave it away at Southampton last year really pissed me off. So, <laughs> um, you know, I would love us to be back at Wembley and have a, a nice day out with the fans, with everybody there and a real chance for unity again. But I think in terms of the league, top six should be the minimum, uh, in my opinion, and back into into Europe. Andrew, would you go along with that? I mean, top six would be Europa League. It would be an improvement, obviously, on the last couple of seasons. Um, you know, we could, we could. I think you could make the case that it's probably unrealistic for Arsenal to catch Chelsea, Man City, Man United with the level of investment, Liverpool with this sort of the momentum that they have and the coach that they have. So being in the top six, while it's not the the limit to our ambitions, if we're going to be realistic about improvement next season, that's where it should be. And, and like for all the talk of transfers uh, and the need for them and everything else, it is possible to improve um, – Organically, I'm not organically, that's not the wrong word, but you know, you can get more out of the players that you have. You know, your younger players can improve. You can get more out of some of the experienced players. The the week between every Premier League game means they're gonna be fresh, well organized, you know, there's no fatigue, there's no travel, there's only focus on these Premier League games. So top six really does feel like the minimum requirement for Mikel Arteta. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of goes two ways, doesn't it? I mean, there's going to be so much focus on those Premier League games, so much pressure, because really that's all the fans are going to be focusing on, right? You know, you don't... You, we're not going to have a... a well, we've had runs of games in the past where we found it difficult in the league. In some instances, playing in Europa League and battering a team 4 or 5-1 or whatever has is, is eased the pressure off the manager a little bit. Whereas if we don't and we're just stewing on everything for weeks on end, you know, uh, defeat after defeat, then it's going to make things very difficult. And realistically, I think if we're not in the top 6-7 at Christmas... I think I think Arteta will go. I just don't think the fans will 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 put up with that. So he has to he has to make an impression on the team and get them playing reasonable football. I'm realistic. I, I like you. I mean, there's absolutely no way that we make the top four given the strength of the other teams. 
that are there mm. in, in and around the mix. I think there are opportunities to to make gains on clubs that you know that were around us last year. You know, definitely Spurs. I think particularly if they lose Kane. Um, you know, I think Leicester are a very well-run unit, but there's no reason for us to be, you know, feeling uh, an inferiority complex around them. Uh, so, ah, I, it, the Premier League's very competitive now. You know, it used to be that you could finish in the top four, lose to all your rivals, but because most of the other games are relatively, you know, not Winnable. easy, but the gap was big, bigger. And you could kind of bank on getting some of those home wins in the, in, in, in the you know, in... in just get those home wins right last year we just didn't do that last year for whatever reason maybe the lack of fans the emirates was an absolute shit show it was not a a fortress in any way shape or form and i guess maybe you could say we point we picked up more points away from home than we might necessarily have been expecting but yeah the home form has got to come and i think that comes probably with supporters making it a bit more of a kind of intimidating place to be um and i i'm hopeful that you know sixth would be where where I'd be targeting, but I think fifth is not you know out of the question. I think anything else than that is a is a bonus. I'd love a cup run, obviously, um, any cup run, even if it's you know winning the Manchester City Invitational or whatever it is, the Carabao <laughs> Cup. Um, yeah, I mean anything to kind of give us a sense of experience and joy, and you know I'd like to see maybe a bit more exciting football. You know even. <laughs> even if we finish sixth, but the football is kind of a bit more attractive in some way, shape or form, then Mm. that would be something to cling on to. All right. Well, look, let's keep fingers crossed that we can play good football, score lots of goals, not lose as many games and entertain everybody who happens to be in the ground uh, throughout the season. It's not a lot to ask. I think we all deserve it after what we've been through in the last 12, 18 months. So uh, let's see what happens. Phil Costa, thank you very much indeed. Cheers. Thanks for having me. And Andrew Allen, thank you. Cheers, man. Thank you very much indeed to Andrew and to Phil. You can follow Phil on Twitter at underscore Phil Costa, at underscore Phil Costa. Andrew, of course, is at A. Allen Sport, at A. Allen Sport. Right. It has been a really busy week in terms of stuff on the website, podcasts that we've done uh, here and on Patreon as well. Your final, final reminder that if you want to be involved in our Patreon Fantasy Football League, you've got to be registered by midday on Friday. Midday on Friday, you could be in with a chance of winning the top prize of €400 plus an Arsenal shirt. We've got €200 for second place plus an Arsenal shirt, €150 for third place plus an Arsenal shirt and an Arsenal shirt and a trophy if you finish in fourth place. All the details are at patreon.com forward slash arseblog as well as the Brentford preview podcast. Myself and Lewis Ambrose will be doing a preview podcast for every single Premier League game this season. You'll find them exclusively on Patreon. Right. I mean, this is it. This is the start of a new season. And, you know, usually... Uh, there's a bit more, I guess, a bit more hope, a bit more optimism. And I know that, that uh, maybe the, the business we've done so far has been a bit underwhelming. But I think it's worth remembering as we go into the new season that there is one really great club in the Premier League and there are 19 bastards of varying degrees of bastardosity. And we are in a position where we can, because of uh, our relationship with Arsenal, we can be critical, we can be unhappy, we can be upset. But let's not forget that the goal is to beat all the bastards, every single one of them. So as much as 
we all have our concerns and as much as we're frustrated by certain aspects of what's gone on this summer, and rightly so, understandably so, the most important thing is like Arsenal winning games. And if we can get ourselves through August and still do a bit of business between now and the end of the window and bring in a couple of good players and everything looks a bit happier, that'll be great. But it'll look even better if we can win some football matches. So fingers crossed we can do that. Get off to a good start and, you know, calm some of the nerves, soothe some of the anxiety until we can get that business done. So I'm keeping everything crossed that we can do that. At the end of the day, I just want Arsenal to win football matches, and I'm sure that's the same for you too. So let's hope they can do that against Brentford on Friday night. Let's hope they can do it against Chelsea. It's a bit much to expect them to do it against Manchester City, given how long it's been since we've done it. But look, football is strange. It's weird. It takes you to places you never thought you were going to go. So let's keep everything crossed that the start of the season is a success. James and I will be here with an Arsecast Extra on Sunday. We will have that for you on Sunday. It just felt a little bit like uh, Monday was too long to wait to talk about the first game of the season when it happens on a Friday night. So we will have the Arsecast Extra for you on Sunday. Join us for that. Keep everything crossed for a good result, a good performance against Brentford, and we will catch you on the next one. Thanks for being here as always. Take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye. Are you good with your hands? Do you have a cap you can wear on a sunny day? If we gave you a net, would you be able to mind it? Can you throw, kick, and jump? If so, Arsenal need you. We currently have a vacancy for a goalkeeper. Come join our exciting team. Come join our team. Perks include colorful uniform, a range of comically large gloves and free flights to Dubai. To apply for the role of goalkeeper at Arsenal, simply send your YouTube compilation reel to edu at luxuryholidayresort.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.